so many people starting out in an entrepreneurial space feel like they have to go at it alone. Yep. And being able to ask for help is not something I like to do, but it's something I've learned to do and become better at. And I would not be where I am with this business or in life if I didn't ask for help. There's so much bad in the world. Like there's so much chaos in the world and it's overwhelming. But like, if you can just focus on like the good that you can give, no matter how small, like it makes such a huge difference. I'm Coach Des, mindset motivator and lifestyle entrepreneur. My mission is to help you crush your self-limiting beliefs and embrace being unapologetically you. The Born Unbreakable podcast brings you inspirational stories from all over the world that will empower you to unlock your unbreakable spirit. I'd love to partner with you on your next breakthrough. Go to bornunbreakable.com to schedule a free transformational call. Action begins today. Welcome to the Born Unbreakable podcast. I'm your host, Coach Des, and I'm especially excited about today's episode because it's built off of the momentum of a movement that I'm so proud to be a part of, which is called WO3. You've heard me talk about it before, but it's women who partner, promote, and support specifically women-owned businesses. And one of our intentions this year was to really bring together the community through having inviting people to be a part of a giveaway uh, that would uh, that would bring them to a podcast platform to be able to share their story. And my guest today, Tara Sanders, is on to tell her story, and I just love it. I love it, love it, love it so much because Tara is, she's in higher education as an administrator, but also is an entrepreneur of a black owned business. And it happens to be in an industry that I think is dominated by the Caucasian community. And so I do think that, you know, opening the doors to seeing more minority leaders in this space of wine, which is a, a wide open space that I think has lots of opportunities if people chase after them like Tara did. Um, and, and I'd love, you know, for her to share her story today. So she's the owner of Dali Vino Wine Bar. So we're going to learn more about that. But I'm just thankful that she's taking time out of her day to come on and share her story. Yeah, I am thrilled to be here. And thank you, Des. I mean, it's just like you said, promoting female entrepreneurship is so incredibly important. And as you know, the owner of the first wine bar ever in the city of Pittsburgh, California, and as um, one of very few black um, owned wine bars in the world, it's just so important that we take the opportunity to really promote um, the courage it takes to do these kinds of things so that we can also help other people see that it's possible and that it's, it's not just these people can do it. We, we can all do it. And so I, I hope that can be a part of, you know, what we talk about today is, is how to do it in the journey and the inspiration and how to get support from one another. Yeah, I think it's, it's vital. You know, I think examples out there, you know, you know, and I, and I think about this every time there's big things that are going on in the world and there's young people watching, you know, because young people are looking for that, example of inspiration that goes, I can do that too. Wow. And we've seen it throughout history, everything from being a pilot to an engineer, 
to being a CEO. I mean, women wow. have had to, you know, see those before them blaze trails to know that something is possible. You know, and we see now with the vice president of the mm -hmm. United States, Paris, having a, a minority there, and and slowly, you know, but surely that those things are are happening um, in our country and in the world, but it's it's still a slow process, I think, yeah. in some industries. And I certainly think that wine is one of them. You know, my, myself coming from, um, before we hit the record button, I was telling Tara that I lived in Brentwood, California, before I moved to Las Vegas. And uh, there, there are several wineries there. And there's other wineries in California, like Calistoga is obviously very popular. And all the experiences that I had when I was old enough mm -hmm. to begin drinking was, you know, it was a very dominant industry of, of Caucasian, you know, owners, um, of which I have, you know, several friends that are in that industry, which I think are fabulous. But I, I really do think that there's a place to, exp it's, it's a place to expand. So yeah. thank you for being that trailblazer. But before we get into Dolly Vino, um, how did you get into your journey of higher education? Because that's another part of who you are. Yeah. Um, it's a big part of who I am. Um, well, I have Dolly Vino and it's it's my baby. It's a passion project. I do work full time as a manager for workforce and economic development for the Contra Costa Community College District. And we have three colleges in our district. Um, and I, I love the work. Um, I don't think I can get away from education even if I tried. And the road to getting me there is I remember being in college and we all know that you're told you have to figure out what you want to do. You know, how do you know where you want to go? But I don't necessarily think there's enough elements of career exploration in our middle schools and our high schools. And even when you get into college. And so I was in college and I was um, biology pre-med major. You know, that was the path that I was going to go into pre-med. And even in high school, I was really good at science. And I thought about becoming a science teacher. So education was always in my realm. Um, but I was really honest that after a year of it, I, I was just like, it wasn't fun for me. It, it wasn't exciting anymore. And I had friends who knew they wanted to be neonatal surgeons at 19. And now they are neonatal surgeons. And I have so much respect for people, especially in the medical industry, because we need people who have a passion for that work and want to be neurologists and want to do, you know, brain surgeries and neck surgeries and all these critical things that keep us alive. But I knew that I wanted to be in the education side, but the medical side necessarily wasn't where I wanted to go. And so um, I ended up researching in South Africa. I did a study abroad experience and that was absolutely amazing. I um, ended up researching the constitutional implications of their new constitution and the revival of the virginity text virginity um, testing practices of the Zulu um, and how their new constitution was protecting children's rights versus their older constitution. And I knew in that moment, even though I was young, I was 20, that elements of research and systematic change were really important to me. And I wanted to incorporate that into my career. And I didn't know if I was going to be an anthropologist and do further research, or if I was gonna go a more sociological route and look at local systems and changes. Um, so I ended up graduating with both degrees, sociology and anthropology, and ended up um, not knowing how to get to the next step. And so I went to this conference. It's called the Oshkosh Placement Exchange, OPE, in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. We flew out there in interview for like three days straight for higher education positions, mostly, mostly entry level. 
and I had my non-negotiables. And I feel like this is something I talk about. And I do some talks with like middle schools and high schoolers, which I love to do with um, young women. And I always talk about my non-negotiables. And don't get me wrong, you you can you can bend sometimes, but it's really important that you have the foundation of what's important to you. And so I said, where wherever I end up after undergraduate, um, there are certain things I want. I want my grad school paid for. I want a free master's degree. Um, I said, you know, I want some type of housing or housing stipend included. And there was a certain salary that I required. And I interviewed and I got offered quite a few positions. A number were out of state, but only one place met all of my non-negotiables. Um, and I got to stay in California. So that was, you know, kind of cool too. So I ended up at Chico State and um, I was working there and I did my master's degree. And um, I was really enjoying the research side. I actually did research in my first semester of graduate school. I loved it. That research turned into my master's thesis. Um, but it was really important to me that in thinking about my future, was I really going to be happy? And what was going to make the most difference for me? And as I continued researching, and my master's thesis ended up being on the first year experience of African-American students at Chico State. And instead of having a hypothesis of what happens to them, I took a grounded theory approach, letting the actual research arise, you know, what happened arise from the research versus speculating and coming up with a hypothesis, which was phenomenal and an amazing experience. And I realized in that moment of actually advocating and doing my defense for my master's degree that the only way I was going to make systematic change was to continue to be a part of education, but move my way into administration. And at that point, I'd been an academic advisor for a few years, and I loved that. And working with the students is so important. That's not to minimize that. It's probably the most important thing that we do in education. Um, but there were certain things I wanted to build and systems I wanted to build and things I wanted to change. And so I remember going to my boss and saying, you know, I love this job and I'm not unhappy, but I know there's more for me to do. And she looked at me, uh, Dr. Chela Mendoza Patterson, and I have such immense amount of respect for this woman and still consider her one of my mentors. She looked at me and she said, the only thing you owe me in this department is to do the best job you do while you're here. And when it's time for you to move on, you go and do the best job you can do at that next job. And so I applied for another position later on, um, probably two weeks later, and within a month and a half, I was gone. Um, and it brought me into the community college system. Yeah, it was really quick. Um, where then I was helping students who were in community college to um, transfer into four-year institutions. And I really loved that work. Um, but then um, a position came along a little while later that was about creating those work-based learning experiences that I had talked about previously that I feel like sometimes aren't there. And I was able to be a liaison to our local industry to develop internships, apprenticeships, preceptor sites, all kinds of stuff for all programs, all majors. So not just career education, but looking at, you know, what are the opportunities in community college? And I am a huge advocate for community colleges because I feel like we're the world's best kept secret. We're super affordable. And in three semesters, you can be making six figures in the industrial technologies trades. And it's not dirty. I mean, it's it's not the jobs that we re that our parents may remember or our grandparents may remember. Um, and so I did that. And I because of that position and some of the work that I did, they said, can you help scale this work throughout our district? And it kind of clicked. I'm doing this at one college, but I could support three. And when I talked about that systematic change to improve inequities and to create more opportunities, it was like, here it is. And I had no idea that, you know, my experience of saying, 
I'm biology with intention of pre-med. This isn't for me. What do I do? I wish I would have had more work-based learning opportunities. I never would have imagined that years later that would turn into a career, a career trajectory of me being able to to create those spaces for for all people, not just our 18 year olds that walk in the door, but these amazing experiences for students who are getting retrained and reskilled. And how that ties into my wine journey is I know what it's like having taught in higher education. I know what it's like to be a student sitting in the classroom and feeling like you don't belong there. And I felt like with wine, it was such a similar experience where people felt like it wasn't for them and they didn't belong there. But if that right teacher or that right environment is created, you feel comfortable and like you're supposed to be there. And I, I felt like I could do that with wine. Um, I am not a wine expert and I never claimed to be, but I was that but I like wine and I drink wine. I have to have some right here. That's all <laughs> but um, a lot of my friends are in the wine industry. A lot of my friends are sommeliers. A lot of my friends are winemakers. And over the last 20 years, I was either that friend holding flashcards um, while they were studying for their level one um, or um, a friend of mine from years ago. I was there when she received her advanced certification. Um, we were standing out in the hallway of the Sir Francis Drake Hotel, and you know we threw rose petals when she walked out because it was her, I think, second or third time taking it, and it was we were thrilled. And now she's a very well-respected wine expert in the industry, um, teaches now. Um, you know, again, friends who are winemakers, and so when I sat down and said, "This is my vision." I asked a couple of friends, you know, do you think I know enough to do this? And they said, through osmosis, there is no way you don't know how to do this because you've been around us for so long. Um, and so that's just kind of full circle of how it all, the higher education piece, which is so important to me, but the combining the love for education and the love for wine into a space that is Dolly Vino is just, I think, one of the most challenging, but one of the most beautiful things I've ever done. Yeah, this it's so your story is incredible. And I, you know, one of the words that come to my mind when I when I hear you speak is confidence. And that's something that I think for young women in particular, they're trying to find that. And you creating this method, you know, for them to be able to practice that, right? That's what internships are for. That's what yeah. those kind of environments are for. So you can get hand, hands-on experience to go you know, this is for me, this isn't for me. That's how through experience we gain the the ability to progress, mm -hmm. to make better decisions, to gain confidence in our own skills. And sometimes, like you said, it just takes that one person, mm -hmm. you know, to give opportunity and believe in them so they, they can go down a path that they feel passionate, you know, about. Yeah. And it's like, you've done that at every turn, which is so amazing that, you have chosen to to both in your higher education career and being a business owner is you're creating an environment that encourages people to learn mm -hmm. and encourages people to pursue their dreams and enjoy their their livelihood you know mm -hmm. like you can have all of that so then i have to ask you what you, you you mentioned your friends in the wine industry, so it's always been around you, but what was the impetus for you starting Dolly Vino? You know, my father, after retiring from the police department, he was the first uh, black cop in our city. 
He was a detective sergeant when he retired. And afterward, he opened up a number of small businesses. He had a gym. He had a salon. Um, he was very heavy into the bodybuilding world in the 80s. He was actually in a couple of movies. Um, it's hilarious to watch. I'm just like, is that my dad? One was called Flex. And then he was recently, wouldn't even know. There's a clip of him on a recent Netflix documentary um, called Killer Sally. Um, but he was heavy into that world. And he, after 20 years of being at the, around 20 years of being at the police department said, you know, I really want to try and work for myself. And so I always had conversations with him about those businesses when I was a child, because he had me at almost 40. So, you know, I got to see him open the salon and I was there painting the walls and, you know, doing all that stuff with him at like eight. And so I knew what it took, like the grit and the work and the effort to go into it. Um, and I had known for years, I either wanted a wine bar I wanted a, a boutique style salon um, or I wanted um, some type of boutique gym. And so all three ideas had constantly been floating around. Um, and when the pandemic happened, all of a sudden I had all this extra time and I was walking and walking and walking every day. I don't know. I don't think I've walked that much in my life. And I kept walking past this space that was not far from my house. And I was like, gosh, this would be a great location for a wine bar. But, you know, thought I still have a lot to learn, whether it's a gym, a wine bar, whatever it is. So I started doing research, researching census data, you know, what could actually hold here. And we have tons of salons here and we have a couple of gyms and there was a boutique gym that we had close by that that didn't end up um, bearing. And so I just mm -hmm. thought, you know, what could I do successfully? The research in you. I love it. It's all the things that you do, you're like, I'm going to get my data. <laughs> I'm going to get my data, data-driven decision-making. It's, uh, it's awesome. Fun known fact about me, I am A-type. And um, I, I've lightened up a lot in the last couple of years. I, I'm very proud of that. But I, I'm, I love my spreadsheets. I need to see like how much things are, how far they are. I mean, I, I love, love spreadsheets. Um, and so during the pandemic, I kept walking past it. And finally, I reached out to the city. And I just said, I have this idea because it was a city owned building. And I said, and I have the data to support that a wine bar could be successful here. Can we talk? And they were so responsive and so incredibly supportive. So to me, that was my moment of like, okay, you're getting a sign here. Like, are you willing to put in the work? And so literally the next day I contacted the small business development center. And if folks haven't heard of the small business development center, it is an amazing state resource that is entirely free. And they basically interviewed me and said, you know, what do you have as far as capital? What is your vision? You know, what are you really trying to do here? And I explained everything and they said, okay, we'll follow up with you. A week later, I get an email and this gentleman says, hello, my name is Jamin Michelle. I own four wine bars and I have been assigned to be your advisor to help you get your wine bar open. And I'm just like, wait, what? Like, yeah. So this, the small business development center literally for free will give you an advisor to help you get your business open. That has been working in that field for years. So I'm like, okay. So I end up working with this guy and I'm putting my pitch deck together, which is my business plan. Um, and I'm putting it all together. And he said, you know, there's this restauranteur cohort that I think you'd be really good in. He said, I'll be honest, it's really rigorous. And he goes, and you've already done a lot of work, but you would benefit from this cohort. And again, it's completely free. Um, 
but I really think you should do it. So I sign up for it. And the first day I get there, they're like, this is one to two nights a week. It, we give you a ton of homework, a ton of research. And if you don't submit everything two days prior to your next class, you're not invited back. I mean, they are, they weed you out the first two weeks because they want to know that you're serious. They, I mean, again, this is free through the state. And these people, let me tell you, these advisors, my advisor, Jermaine, not only owns four wine bars, I think he's in the process of opening his fifth and got his first Michelin star. They assign you a financial advisor to help you with all of your finances and to secure funding. They assigned us a hospitality advisor. My hospitality advisor is Holly Steele. She was the first female concierge ever in the United States and has her own consulting company after working for um, major global hotels for years. Um, they just surround you with like these amazing resources. So you, the only way you fail is if you don't put in the work because they are there rallying behind you. So I end up doing this almost four month intensive cohort with other restauranteurs. And the cool thing was, is everybody was different. You know, one girl was developing an app for restaurants when they had their leftover food, how to get that connected with nonprofits. Another girl wanted to have like a mobile banderia. So she was able to have her ban in different places. And she was in college, which was like the coolest part. So she was studying business and was like creating her business while she was in school. Another guy did grain processing and needed to like expand his business. Uh, like it was just, it was all food related, but like different walks of life. So we got to learn from each other. And at the very end, you get to pitch your pitch deck to investors. And it was one of those insane moments where I was just like, oh my God, I've gone through this entire cohort. Like I we're here. And like, now it's like, full speed ahead. And so I went to the city and I was like, here's my pitch deck. Here's what I want to do. And they were like, okay, we'll get back to you. And they were like, okay, get us your letter of intent by next week. So next thing you know, I'm like, oh, this is really happening. So I have to hire an attorney. Like I'm, I'm filing my LLC. Like all of a sudden there's all these steps that if I could give anyone any type of advice, talk to someone who's done this before. Like, don't sit down and think you can do it yourself, because had I not had all of those advisors, had I not had the resources to point me in the direction of an incredibly reputable attorney, an incredibly reputable um, ABC consultant who does ABC licensing. I mean, I was able to call on my resources to all these different people because there's so many moving pieces. No one prepares you for the permitting process and working with the health department and the fire department and architects and engineers and things that you don't have an experienced background in. Um, and so again, I know I got into like how deep it got, but the impetus was I knew the space would work. I knew the community would support it. I knew there was data to back it. And I knew I was passionate about it. I think at the end of the day, people have passions, but there's a difference between pouring wine and loving wine and running a business. They are two very, very different things. Like, like being a chef and running a restaurant are two very, very different things. Being a, um, a, a carpenter or a contractor and then running your own contracting business where you're doing payroll and pickup of all the supplies and the deliveries and managing people. It's very, very different. Just like teaching is very different than being an administrator and having the, the financial oversight and the people oversight. Um, and so for me, I knew I could build this in a way that was what I wanted. And I knew that I had the wherewithal to also do the business side. And the funny thing is, is that now that we're open, 
I do the business side. I work with the marketing team. I select the wine. I work with the sommelier, but my staff run the show. They do the service because I know better than to think that I, having not been a server in 20 years, that I'm going to walk in there and know what I'm doing. No, that's what my amazing staff are for. And I would say out of this whole process, the thing that I'm probably most proud of are my friends and family that helped me get here because they were in there putting tables together, painting walls. I mean, it was a community effort and my staff because my staff are absolutely phenomenal. I have an all-female staff. Um, I have a lead manager named Tiffany who, I don't know why I get emotional like when I think about it, but like we met her and I just knew there was something like so special about this woman. And she'd been a server for 10 years and no one had ever tapped her for management. And I looked at her and I was just like, this, like, you're amazing. Like, like you are just phenomenal. And she was nervous and she was scared. She goes, oh, maybe I'll try assistant manager. You know, I'll, I'll just, we'll see how it works out. And I said, yeah, take your time. And now seven months later, she's our lead manager and she runs the show and she is just absolutely phenomenal. But it's a testament to, she didn't have a wine background, but she was willing to learn. And she comes to every professional development session and she works with our sommelier and she was willing to put in the time and the effort. And, and now she, she runs the show. And I think about like, even though don't get right, it's, it's a beautiful thing and it's so much fun. It's hard. It's, it's definitely hard. And when I think about why I do what I do, it's the people that come in and have a beautiful experience with wine and feel safe and feel comfortable. And it's for my staff that work there and now are able to be in a space where they're respected and they're honored and they're loved. And I had a philosophy that I still use that I said during the interviews where I said, we all treat each other with respect. I don't care what position you hold here. We talk to each other the same way. We don't talk down to each other. We will not be rude to each other. If you're not willing to you know, wash the dishes, if you're not willing to take out the trash, then don't work here because we all will do everything to keep this place running. And I think that's why seven and a half months in, we've been able to be so successful is because people feel the respect, not just when they're a patron, but amongst the staff there. I mean, it's, it's a community place. This is, it's incredible hearing you talk about <laughs> I wasn't expecting like any of that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's your baby. And, and I could see the passion and you represent the thing that I think anybody who's listening uh, needs to take in to their soul, which is heart. Like you're a heart centered. I could just feel that energy uh, from you that you put that into everything that you care about. Yeah. You know, from the moment Love that you walked in, which is, you know, I'm sure what those people felt and why they did not hesitate to go, hmm, maybe she's right. Maybe there is something here. And and I, I'm still blown away by that there's this place that just like gives you the resources, you know, and that's yeah. that's another thing that I think, you know, you're you're shedding light on with it, which is incredible, is the fact that so many people starting out in an entrepreneurial space feel like they have to go at it alone. Yep. You know, they have that that sense of, oh my gosh, I have this whole thing to figure out and I have no idea where to start. And you were, in, in my view, the, in listening to you, were almost catapulted because of the fact that you had this expertise. And so that would lead me to the advice of not being afraid mm -hmm. to ask for help, right? Not being able to, 
to don't be afraid to ask for that guidance, that support and that input, especially when it's coming from experts yeah. that have went down that road and can probably tell you what not to do just as yeah. much as they can tell you what to do. Right. Completely, completely. My advisors were amazing and I'm still in contact with all of them. I still have monthly meetings with my financial advisor. He looks at my books, you know, tells me where I need to cut or, you know, um, what I need to do a little differently. Uh, my, uh, Food and beverage advisor still comes by, you know, he'll be buying a couple of things. Were they there like when you had a grand opening yes. at your place? And the grand opening, if I and I I tell this story and I I'm a I'm a huge woman of faith, and that's a big part of my life is my faith. But when I tell the story of all the little things that lined up beautifully, I, I attribute all that to God. But I remember the morning of the grand opening and waking up and thinking like no one's gonna come. And later that day, I'm talking to my honey and I'm like, no one's gonna come like I just and he goes, well, we know between amongst our family and friends, like at least 50, 75 people are coming, like people are coming. And then 600 people showed up to the grand opening. And it was the city that partnered with us because they have an event called First Fridays, the first Friday of every summer. And it's not like the big Oakland one. It's our little Pittsburgh one. Um, but they have a band. And I said, what if we partner together and the last First Friday can be the Dolly Vino grand opening? And they were like, great idea. So we ended up doing that at almost 600 people show up. And I was just in tears and all the advisors came as many as they could were there. And they said, and I, and I, I had this moment to where I got to give a speech and it was in between, you know, intermission with the band. And I go out on the lawn on the stage and I thank everyone for being there. And I thank the advisors because the SBDC were so instrumental in my success. But I remember saying to the crowd, like, I opened this space because Pittsburgh deserves this space. We get overlooked for grocery stores. We don't have the required educational level of enough master's degrees, even though we have the median income. So unnamed grocery stores won't come to our city. You know, we get overlooked for this. We get overlooked for that. And I said, I want you to know as a resident, I'm not overlooking you. Like I see you and we deserve this space in our community. And, you know, it's a heavily Sicilian Mexican black community. Pittsburgh is Filipino. I mean, it's so extremely diverse. And I am not from the Bay Area. And the minute I moved to the Bay, I cannot put into words the feeling I had of just being like, oh, I belong here. Like I'd never seen so many interracial couples. Like it was just so foreign and so amazing and like everything I ever wanted. And so I remember at that grand opening, not just thanking the advisors, but thanking the community for, for giving this opportunity. And I asked them, you know, keep, support us though. Don't just be here tonight, support us. And they have, and they've continued to have as the advisors have, they are still in constant contact. Um, and that grand opening celebration was just one of the most amazing experiences of my life. I don't even remember. I just remember at the end of the night because I was like in like this like like summer floral kind of like tropical gown. Cause like last minute I changed. Cause I had like this, this dress on and my friends were like, you know, it just, that doesn't feel like summer. That looks like a winter, like Christmas party dress. And I was like, what about this one? And all the girls were like, done. Like, that's what you're wearing, like slits, like palm trees, like it was gorgeous. And at, at first I'm like talking and chatting and mingling. And the next thing I know, I'm doing like a ribbon cutting. And next thing you know, we're slammed. So I'm behind the bar, like pouring drinks because there's just hundreds of people pouring into the bar, even though every single staff person worked. So I got back there and like my four inch stilettos in my gown and I'm just pouring drinks. Cause I'm like, you know what? We, we've got to be able to, to be successful. And I said, you know, everyone plays a part. And so I just remember that whole night of like the advisors there, 
my friends and family there. I had family fighting from Kansas. I mean, it was dope. And my dad was there. And that was just the coolest part um, is because my dad is just, he's a huge part of my life. And um, he's had about, I think, four strokes at this point. But the man just doesn't know failure. He doesn't stop fighting. And I think that's a lot of where I get it from is both of my parents. Uh, my mother, who's been passed now, um, I think about 16 years, um, neither one of them knew how, knew that, like, they just never stopped fighting. Like, mm-hmm. they just had so much strength, and I think that's where I get it from. And so to see my dad there, just proud, and he's in all, like, the ribbon-cutting photos. It's super cool. Um, it just... Where does your dad live? He's in Oceanside. Or now he's at uh, Temecula area. He's still in Southern okay. California. Southern California. Yeah. I make him come see me pretty often. I go see him. It's probably every other month I got to get out. But we talk probably three times a week, four times a week. He, he yeah. won't leave me alone even if I wanted him to. So. <laughs> you know, it's, so, it's so fascinating to hear you talk about when you were eight years old, painting the walls at one of his businesses and for him to then turn around and see you today, opening your own business. That's got to be one of the most, talk about tears. Yeah. Like so much for a parent to see the, you know, yeah. their child all of a sudden become that person. And like, I can't even imagine his feelings. Well, it's, it's neat because I know he's super proud of me and he's always been super proud of me. And it's, it's also cool because my mom loved wine and my mom loved the water. Um, and when I got to open Dale Vino, I loved the fact that it's a wine bar on the water because I feel like she's there all the time. And that she's just, when we have live bands, that she's just out there with her glass of wine, dancing in the sun, enjoying it. And um, a lot of people ask where the name Dale Vino came from, which means give them wine. Um, my maternal grandfather, so my mom's father, his name was Terrence Dale, and he went by Terry Dale. My mom's name is Terry Ann, and I'm Tara Dale. So Dale is my middle name and it's my family name. And so when I thought of what I wanted to name the bar, I somehow wanted to incorporate my name, but people are like, don't ever put your name <laughs> in your business, like just in case. So I was like, how do I do it? Well, I love, I love the Spanish language. I love Latin culture being raised from San Diego. Mm-hmm. I just, I love it. And so I thought, how do I, yeah, how do I put it in? So Dale, like Pitbull, Dale, 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 you know, yeah. give wine. And then a lot of people say Dale, you know. Um, well, I know it's, it's so interesting, but you see that little, uh, you know. Yeah, the uh, accent isn't actually grammatically correct. It's actually not supposed to be there if you're. But I had to put it up there so people would would say it correctly. So that's just yeah, business. Yeah. You can really do whatever you want. Like I'm like, is someone gonna correct me? And my advisor's like, who's gonna correct you and be like, take the accent off? So right. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean that's amazing because it's funny. I was gonna ask you that I knew there was a story behind that. And the fact that there's your your name and the passion for the culture that you love, I think is brilliant. Um, and you have a great menu, by the way. Just everything. Every, if, if For anyone listening, I'm going to put the website in the show notes. You have to check out this website. And its location is phenomenal. Anytime you can bring wine on the water yeah. together, that is just, you know, talk about the ultimate, yeah, like experience, right? Because, um, and I know that you have the Sunday brunch there. Mm-hmm. And, so, you know, you, uh, you know, when people think about relaxing, 
right? And having those moments with friends and people that you love, that's the kind of environment you want to be in. Oh, yeah. And that's anyway. the type of thing that you're bringing to the community. And that's why I think there's there's so many facets of this story that I, I hope people get inspired by because it's one, the courage to start something that, you know, you may not have all the answers, but if you choose the right who to get involved in your journey, that can get you there. So you have to have that courage and then the support from the people that you love. Mm -hmm. Obviously your friends and your your wine friends in particular that, you know, you probably went to with lots of uh, questions and yeah. things like that. And just the community, right? I mean, like your whole goal and your mission, because I've read your mission, is about that togetherness, yeah. you know? And, and I'm, we need more examples of businesses like you that are, are unifying, mm -hmm. bringing diversity together, because all the time we're seeing how divided yeah. things are. And, and so all the opportunities where we can bring harmony mm -hmm. and connection and togetherness is like, yes, please. Yeah. Please bring something into the community that, you know, and you've got the music yeah. and food. The wine is the music. It's funny because I was like, oh, there's like, there's like a little Latin flair. Yeah. There's you know? so much variety. We do like an R&B night, a Latin jazz night with salsa, a smooth jazz with reggaeton the other night. I mean, I'm just trying. We had a country rock and blues band. They did like Chris Stapleton. I mean, it was just, yeah. So I'm really trying to like, again, embrace the diversity. That is the big area because I lived in Chico for six years and I love a little country and blues and that's never going to go right. Stapleton together with some Pitbull or Daddy Yankee. Ooh. I mean, like, you can't go wrong, right? It's got all the, all the variety. But, <clears throat> I mean, it's like you're bringing me back <laughs> to why I love California so much. Yeah. You know, I mean, I from in my world, I just thought it was normal, like multiracial couples. And in my family, I saw every color yeah. that exists. And then, you know, when I got into consulting and I lived in different parts of our country, I was like, oh, yeah, it's not like that everywhere. No. You know, there's so much more homogeneity. Yes. With cultures, it's like. The whites are together and the blacks are together and the Latinos and the Asians and everything they weren't like mixed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like, where I've lived before is it's, it's been like that. And so that's, again, that's why I fell in love with the Bay area. But I will say, even having had the bar now open for a little over seven months, we had a women's history month party. We had a black history month day party where we helped. It was like, we called it the launch party for um, a previously existing, a newer existing black female owned wine. Um, and their rosé and their cab are just phenomenal. And I wanted to celebrate them. And now we have a pride party coming up in June that I'm really excited about. But we got kickback for that. I mean, we had customers like Black History Month party, like, okay, Women's History Month, like, are you gonna have an Irish Heritage Month? And my manager, another manager didn't know what to say. And she goes, well, you know, we like to celebrate all cultures here. So like, we like the idea. And so I was just like, oh, like, thanks for the suggestion. Like, sure, we'll look, we'll look into it. It's like, there's never a hard no on anything, but then it got a little more intense after that of like, well, why are you doing all these diversity events? And like to get blatantly asked, like, why are you doing these diversity events? And sometimes I just want to be like, cause it's my wine bar and I celebrate diversity, but I have to take a step back and remember that like, it's not just my wine bar now, it's the community space. And when I, my answers are because I want all community to feel included here. 
because this is an inclusive space. And so that's what I tell people why they, and they ask, why are you doing these? I'm like, because this is an inclusive wine bar. Like this is for everyone. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, you, you mentioned this. I mentioned to you that a passion of mine was diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. And I work with some clients who um, actually add and belonging after. So they say D-E-I-N-B because part of their objective is not just like the usual all the colors and religions and races and everything, but it's the sense of belonging mm -hmm. I think is vital that helps someone go, okay, I'm Irish, but I'd love to celebrate Black History Month with you and vice versa. It's it's about feeling like you belong yeah. regardless, right? Yeah. And so that's, that's the thing and that's the, you know, I think when people can evolve yeah. to that level of a place of you know belonging mm -hmm. because you have that allyship yeah. and you can embrace those different things it's it's a different level of of connection you know i think that there's a ways to go still you know yeah in certain of our world but i think that would be an ultimate goal well and it's funny i told my friends about the experience they're like did you tell them that you're irish they're like your name's tara dale they were like, you don't get like, that's a completely Irish name. And I was just like, nah, I didn't go down that road. I was like, cause to me, it's not about, I'm going to have an Irish history month celebration because I'm Irish, or I'm going to have a black history month celebration because I'm black, which I am. Um, it's, we're going to celebrate everybody. And you know, yeah. uh, that's, that's the whole goal. You know, today I was literally listening to, um, I listen to a lot of podcasts and today I was listening to a podcast and watching the news. Um, and it was about the current state of Afghanistan and of all the women who now can't go into public gardens and restaurants that have green spaces because they're not wearing their hijab appropriately. And it was just like, it made me reflect about very intensely about the freedom that I have. And we talk about California and like just the ability to start a business and to, and I, my friends can tell you this and my significant other can tell you this. I am hyper independent almost to a fault and being able to ask for help is not something I like to do, but it's something I've learned to do and become better at. And I would not be where I am with this business or in life if I didn't ask for help. And to think that there are women out there who can't ask for help because of fear of their of losing their life. Like it, it's just, it always gets so real. And whenever I, I get intense in reflection and in thought about these things, I remind myself like this is why I do the things that I do and not just publicly, but the things that we choose to do privately with our time, like where we donate our time, where we donate our money, you know, the people and causes that we support. Um, I sit on the board of directors for a nonprofit named Opportunity Junction, and they do job training and placement um, in East County here in Contra Costa County. And they take people who have addressable barriers and help them get jobs help them get careers so that they can sustain a life. Not here's my job, but here is my career. And I think about that, I do that a little publicly, a little privately, and there's a lot of other things I support privately. But when I pray on it and I reflect, I'm like, I get overwhelmed and I get sad, but then I remember there are avenues and there are outlets for us to try to make change. And I'm not saying that one of us is gonna do it individually, but like collectively what happens behind the scenes is how you make systematic change in both directions. And that's where I like yeah. try to get people to realize, like when people talk about old boys club and like, why do you learn how to golf or things like that? And it's like, well, cause everything happens on the golf course. It's like, that's how it used to be. And like, 
It's all these hidden spaces and behind the scenes stuff where systematic change happens in both directions, progressively and regressively. And so it's like, it's, I just think it's important for us to remember, like, look at the world around you and like, what are you doing to make it better? Like, I appreciate the fact that me being a female entrepreneur and a part of the new majority could be inspirational to some, but like, I don't want that to be all I do in this world to like, make it better. Like I want to do as much as God will push me to do to try to make better change and systemic change. And I think that's why I'll, again, I'll probably always stay in education. Um, I had a friend ask me the other day, they were like, okay, the wine bar is open. Is that it? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I was like talking. Like, I'm just getting started. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see what happens next. Like, no. Well, Hidden Spaces, I feel like that could be a name of a good book. So well, uh-huh. let's put a pin in that. I feel like that's a good book. Um, one of the things that I find that stands out about you, both in what I hear, in the way that you speak, and also what I've read about you, is this connection and this draw to public service. Yeah. And, and being a person that contributes, you know, I, I, I feel that's been in your history. Where does that come from for you? Um, so my mom was a teacher, and my dad was a police officer. Um, and I remember as a little girl, my mom, whether we had, I mean, we went through hard, hard times. And I, I, I talk about my past, but I don't talk about much of my past, I think, because I also, it's really important that I honor my parents and their work ethic. But as hard as they work, times still were very hard. Um, and so I remember my mom, you know, having little to nothing and us having very little in the fridge. And she would still, you know, give a dollar to someone that was um, unhoused. You know, she still, and I remember Thanksgiving when I was like seven or eight, maybe 10, we were outside of the grocery store the night before. And she saw these two homeless guys that were typically out there asking for change. And she looked at me and she said, do you want to invite them to Thanksgiving? And I was like, yeah, like, why not? So we walked up to them and said, do you want to come to Thanksgiving dinner? And they were like, are you serious? And we were like, yeah. So they showed up the next day and came to Thanksgiving dinner and broke bread with us. And those are my memories. Like we live near a military base and we would go every Christmas on Christmas day and pick up the Marines that didn't have anywhere to go for Christmas. And we would feed them and have fellowship with them. And like, that's what I remember of my childhood is like you, even if you had little to give, you gave. And like, that was all I really knew. I remember my dad had a friend who, um, crazy story. He actually arrested his, uh, this guy's wife years previous um for some stuff and he thought that this guy would have hated him because he arrested his wife when he was a cop and they ran into each other years later and he was on harder times and uh he said you know are we good and he goes absolutely and he, and he goes he goes i'm actually looking for work so my dad brought him to the house and he ended up replacing the roof on our house and my dad gave this man a job um and so i watched my parents however they could give to their community and give to people, give, um, whether they were on high times or low times. And so it's funny in this moment reflecting because I've never actually really been asked that before, but I know it has to be because of my parents. Um, you know, they are amazing people. And I, I think it's important because as children, we put our parents on pedestals and we elevate them to this level that they are perfect. But I think once you start to recognize that our parents are imperfect, it 
gives us permission to also accept our flaws and to consciously work on them because we're no longer trying to attain this level of perfection that we've put our parents to. And I think I saw my parents' imperfections very clear, but that helped me also to see their beautiful sides of them and their beautiful sides were the love and the care that they gave to people. And I, I loved that about them, especially about my mom. Um, and so that was only new. So like I got super involved in community service and civic engagement in high school and in college, um, Habitat for Humanity, volunteering at, at kitchens. Um, and then as I got older, I got into Rotary, which I really loved, um, mentorship programs. Um, I've spent uh, time with foster youth. That's probably one of my favorite things um, to do. I would absolutely love to adopt from the foster care system. That's I know that's a part of my journey. Um, but I just think like there's so much bad in the world like there's so much chaos in the world and it's overwhelming but like if you can just focus on like the good that you can give no matter how small like it makes such a huge difference because we don't know how much time we have how much time our friends have so much time our parents have my mom was diagnosed with leukemia in april and she died december 25th that same year I mean, it was that fast that she got diagnosed, went through chemo, had a stem, a bone marrow transplant and passed away. And I gave a talk a couple of years ago called The Weight of a Woman at a women's conference. And I remember talking about the weight that we carry, whether it's emotionally, financially, within our home, physically, in order to care for others. And I just remember the level of care that she gave to other people was probably her greatest personality characteristic. And even in her last days, you know, she was curious and caring about other people. And that to me just like exemplifies like the woman that I want to be. Like, I love that my father gets to see everything live. And I love that I will carry on his legacy, but I love that I get to carry on her legacy. Um, you know, the re I don't wear pink all the time. Just have head to toe pink today for some reason. My mom wore pink. She was just beautiful inside and out. I remember not wanting shiny skin because I thought it was like you had to use those Biore like facial things to like dab all the stuff off. And then my mom was like, no, shiny skin is beautiful skin. It means it's healthy. And so I remember like my aesthetic the reason I like, I always wanted to have soft skin. The reason I always wanted to be kind. The reason I always wanted to be loving and give back. The reason I like bought a certain perfume is because I believed that's what real femininity was. And by emulating these things about my mother, I knew not only would her legacy live on, but to me, that was what being feminine in a woman meant. It wasn't just wearing high heels. It was, you are showing that a woman can be giving and kind, but also strong and be a single mother and put food on the table and still find a way to, you know, give back to your community. And before she passed, she worked for Marine and Family Services at Camp Pendleton. And her job was to help connect servicemen and their family to resources on base. So whether it's tutoring for the kids or counseling and psychological services, whatever it was, her, the end of her life was in a career that was giving and helping. And so to me, it's like, I know she left the legacy she wanted to live without, to leave without even thinking that she would one day leave a legacy. And you, you are absolutely the epitome of the legacy that your parents would want you to carry on. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, 
it, it radiates, you know, yeah. when, so when, you know, I thought of the public service thing, um, I, I read it, but then I just felt this energy. So I was like, I have to ask you that. And it, that makes so much sense to me, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, and what that infused into you as a person. It's interesting because I had a thought, I don't know. I think this is just the coach in me that I just see in people, things that, you know, maybe they do or don't see. Um, you were mentioning <coughs> your friend and them asking you, like, well, what's next, okay. right? Like, okay, like this, you know, like when you have that thing, it's your thing for so long. And then once it happens, it's like, now what? Like, well, what, what's, what's now? I could picture you being one of those advisors. Oh, that'd be cool. Like the same thing that somebody advised you, like you could probably be that to someone. Yeah, I mean, you are that, I think <laughs> now. You know, to like anybody listening, you've you've done, you've shared so much just in this conversation. You know, but I I could totally see you just bringing together that like education and you know now business background to to help other people. So that you know you could you could uh you know maybe have, add that to your list of uh, of things to do. But in that light, when you do think about Dolly Vino, and you know you, you mentioned seven months, and so what about the next three to five years from now, what do you see for Dolly Vino? You know, a lot of people have already asked about location number two, um, which I am, I try to be really transparent. I just think that's really important. Um, I signed on to do Dolly Vino during the pandemic. If I tried to get the equipment, the rental agreement, everything that I got, if I tried to do this now, I don't think I'd be able to do it the same capacity that I was able to because of inflation. And I'm not saying that should stop anyone from pursuing their dreams, but to me that information is really important because I know for my next move, if it's a second business, like another Dolly Vina location, or if it's something totally different, maybe I do the boutique salon or something, but I'm gonna have to really sit down and look at the numbers and look at the projections and look at the viability of it for me to make any type of move. And I think right now, I'm really focusing on the success of this business. Most people know the first two years of anything in the hospitality or food and beverage industry are extremely volatile. And you know, usually after two years, if you're gonna make it. Um, and so I'm watching these first two years very intently and making sure that this place is successful. Um, as far as my education work, um, I love the role that I'm in. I'm really happy there, um, but I also am looking at systematic and systemic change. Um, and actually next week I'm presenting at a statewide conference on some of the work that I do um, to all of my colleagues throughout the state um, in person. And that's really exciting. And I'm hopeful there could be some opportunity down the line to kind of scale this work in a really meaningful, intentional way. Um, and so I think in both avenues, um, there could be some really cool things on the education side. And as far as Dolly Vino, I just want to see, you know, that baby flourish. I, I want to see her fly. Um, and then I'm also just focusing a lot on me. A lot of people ask, like, how do you like do it all? <laughs> like, how do you have the job and the wine bar? And I'm very intentional about saying no. Um, that's probably the best advice I ever got. And it was from a colleague of mine, this guy named Josh. He was an advisor with me at Chico State. And he asked me, do you ever say no? And he goes, that's my challenge for you. Start saying no. And it took me years to figure it out. But like, 
you're not missing out on stuff. Like if you don't go out one night, you're going to go out two weeks later. Like I'm not, I'm be there for the important things. Like stick by your word. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And I think that's part of the reason I say no too, is because if I'm going to do something, I do it right. Like I've been asked to do certain opportunities. And I say no. And then I'll turn around a year later and say, now I'm ready. And they're like, what? And I said, I've got to do it when I know I can put my all into it. So for right now, Dolly's good. Education is good. And I think I'm just enjoying the fact that like this last Saturday, I laid in bed and just watched TV for like a couple hours and did nothing. And I'm reminded on those Saturdays when it does get to happen that like I owe myself that and I'm not lazy or incompetent or any of the other things that I sometimes tell myself because I took a full day for me. Um, I want to be attentive to my health. My health is so important to me. And um, actually, I was watching a video yesterday and it said married men live longer than single men, but single women live longer than married women. And that's because married men usually have a partner there telling them, take care of yourself, go to the doctor, you have to take these meds, you have to do these things. But married women are in that role and they're constantly taking care of other people and not themselves. Hence why they don't they live, don't live as long as single women. And so I, I've always thought about that, like the idea of health and taking care of yourself. But I think watching that video today cemented some things for me of like, okay, those Saturdays where I do nothing is really important, like making sure I'm working out. And so for now, I think just making sure Tara is healthy and happy is kind of the biggest priority. And then, you know, I'm sure I'll brainstorm some other things along the way. But I don't doubt it. <laughs> you, there's lots of ideas, I'm sure, that can come to fruition if you want them to. But speaking of self and, you know, that care and you talk about the energy you put into yourself, what's a self-limiting belief that you once had about yourself that you've had to overcome? Ooh, that's a deep one. Um, you know, in my field, I, I said I was the industry liaison for my institution for a while, and I felt like I had to be perfect in so many regards. The hair had to be perfect. The makeup had to be perfect. The nails had to be perfect. I couldn't do bright colors. I couldn't be too flashy. I couldn't be something that was perceived as urban or ghetto or anything like that. I had never had my hair in braids. Um, and I think the support of amazing friends, I think moving to the Bay Area, I think being in an amazing relationship, um, I think being an entrepreneur and having my own space to be me have all over time shifted that where I feel like I am the most authentic version of myself where if I get braids, I get braids. Like, who cares? Am I am I somehow less of a professional because I have braids? Or like I'm presenting next week and I have hot pink nails. Like, is that somehow, am I somehow less competent in my world because I have hot pink nails? Um, I used to wear heels every day. Like I had a suit or a dress or a skirt and heels for like six years. Don't get me wrong, I love dressing up. But I also realized if I want to wear, you know, slip-ons and jeans and a blazer and a, you know, a blouse underneath, I'm no less confident because I have jeans and a, and a messy bun. Like I'm still able to do my job. And I think having people that really loved me as I was, was huge. And I now realize that, and I've had people tell me this over the years, like there are young girls out there watching you. And I never in any capacity 
hope I ever encouraged a young woman to feel like they couldn't be themselves because I was overdressing or overperforming because I thought I had to fit into some type of box. And so I can only hope that they saw the professionalism in me and never saw me trying to fit into a box. Um, because now that I know I don't have to be in that box, that I can do as I please and dress how I please. I remember it said I got braids and someone was like, oh my God, that's so cute. And people don't typically know how old I am. And in our family, I guess some of us just look younger for our age. And I dealt with a lot of what I thought was ageism where I would just have these moments of like, I have a master's degree. And like, I've been working in this field for 15 years or 18 years or whatever it is. And like, I own a business. And like, why are you asking me like, is he finally going to propose? Like, it was just things that were like, had nothing to do with like my competency. And so I look back at it now and I'm like, I'm so glad that like, I'm just me now. And I speak my mind and I say what I say and I dress what I dress and I do what I want. And don't get me wrong. That's not to say that professionalism isn't important because that isn't important. But I feel like I limited myself by feeling like I had to fit in that box. And now that I don't, I feel like my opportunities and my my confidence are limitless now because I'm just me doing all of this. I'm not the person in the box doing it. I'm Tara just doing whatever I am at that moment, whether I'm in a business meeting, whether I'm at a winery, whether I'm at my wine bar, whether I'm in a Dean's meeting, I just get to be 100% me. And that's probably the most freeing feeling I've ever had in my life. And I would encourage anyone and everyone to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so interesting because I was going to ask you if you if you could give advice, you know, to anyone listening, what would it be? And I, I feel like you just gave it right there, you know, is to is to be you. And it's so amazing because we hadn't really talked about this, but the message of Born Unbreakable is to be unapologetically you. Mm -hmm. but, but the thing about that is I think it takes certain experiences yeah. where we've had to have some grit, some tenacity, yeah. some resilience, some pushback in order for us to live in that reality yeah. that being ourselves is okay to do. It is. I also think though, and I, I noticed this with today's culture and I noticed this with the influx of social media that's just everywhere that like we need to be us, but we also need to take full accountability of who we are and work on ourselves. Like I see a lot of this like hyper-independence, like I talked about a hyper-independent, but I've learned how to ask for help. Or if you disagree with someone, all of a sudden they're toxic or like they're like, they're not worthy of being in your lives and they're dead to you and you just like ghost people. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a big difference between I'm embracing who I am and living in my truth and thinking that we're right all the time and not being willing to work on our own flaws. And so I, I just say that with, with, with be us, be ourselves, but with caution, that doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility to continually work on ourselves. And we are not perfect. We're perfect as we are, but we have a responsibility to work on ourselves so that we're making sure we are our authentic selves and that we're loving and kind not only to ourselves, but to our, our own communities. Right. And that's where we come full circle into that um, community building and belonging comes in all shapes and sizes. And even when we encounter those people who don't believe the same, that don't think the same, there's still a, a respect and an attempt at understanding because it's when we, when we ask questions 
and seek to understand that we can be in connection even if we don't carry this, you know, necessarily the same message or the same beliefs. Yeah. You can coexist and you can have harmony, but I think we have to be willing to do the one thing I think I find people have so much trouble doing is is to listen. Yeah. Yeah, no, right. it's it's amazing when I when when we stop and we listen to what people are really saying and what they're actually trying to communicate it's it's sometimes so much easier we call we, we complicate things and we we talk and talk and talk but when we when we listen it's like oh that's what your needs are or that's what you're upset about or this one little shift could fix all of this but i was too busy being right or too busy talking to hear that yeah. one thing that you said that could have prevented all of this chaos and i see that in the professional world i see it in personal lives it's like i, I could not agree with you more like it's that ability to listen. Listen to understand, not to respond. <laughs> like people are waiting for someone to talk, stop talking. You're not actually hearing and absorbing anything they're saying because all you're plotting is the thing that you want to say next. <laughs> so it is an art. I do think that they probably should teach like listening skills, mm -hmm. not just in the professional world, but in the actual academic yeah. world. But Tara, What's the best place for people to find you and follow you? Okay. So we have um, a newsletter on dalevino.com. It's the first thing that pops right up, D-A-L-E-V-I-N-O.com. You subscribe to the newsletter and um, you get updates about what's going on, the events that we're doing, cool stuff. We also have an Instagram and a Facebook. Both of those are Dalevino, super easy to find. Um, and you can connect with me on any of those social media channels. Our marketing team is really good about making sure that things get to me. Um, I, I want to be connected with people. And so we've made a point to make sure that anything comes through those channels does get directed to me in some capacity so that I can connect with you, whatever that looks like. Um, to me, I, I, the only reason it works, like you said before, is because of community and interconnectivity. And I, I want that. I want that connection. Um, so yeah, that's how you can reach out to me. Oh, I love it. I love it. So I'll make sure that in the show notes, all those links are there. Cool. So people, they can follow, they can join the newsletter, because you're going to want to join all the things that everything that you described. And as I mentioned, the menu, obviously the wine, <laughs> duh. I mean, you know, but even even if you're not a person who, who drinks, I, I think still, yeah. right? Like you, you can still that's another Yeah, we have non-alcoholic. I wanted a space for everybody. We have non-alcoholic, we have beer, we have a mocktail sangria that is so good. Um, because to me, again, it's about inclusive space. And I don't want you to not come and listen to music because you feel like you have to drink. Like, no, come and jam out. Like, just chill. Hello. Yeah. And yeah, I, like I said, the, just the beauty of the space. I For you, like going back to the moment you walked by and said, I see something there and actually seeing it now, yeah. it's gotta be so surreal. Just, you know, you manifested yeah. that into reality. It's crazy. It's crazy thinking about it because I, you know, you were describing that moment and I was thinking about how it looks when I go to the website and there's that aerial view, wow. you know, of the place. And it's just, it's so amazing. It's so perfect. Like I couldn't, 
I, it's weird because I, I don't know if I could imagine it being something else. I guess just seeing what it is um, and it's I give all credit to my amazing designer. When I said that God just put his hand all over this entire experience, when I told a girlfriend of mine who is was a designer for the largest um, internet search engine in the world, remain nameless, she said, are you really going to do this? And I said, yes. And she goes, I will gift you your design. And she did the style guide, the branding, you know, the logo, I mean, you name it. And she gifted that to me, which would have been, I can't even tell you how much money. But she also walked me through the creative process and said, here are multiple style guides. What do you want to pick? Okay, now that you've picked it, we have to go to the paint store. You have to pick the paints. So she didn't just say, you know, here's everything. We worked collaboratively, but I I cannot say that it was 100% me because it was Shannon Orton, who is a dear friend. Um, and again, all my friends, they were there, I mean, day in and day out, putting together furniture, doing whatever needed to be done, hanging sconces. I have a good friend of mine who's single. Um, he's very handsome and very sweet. We call him my second boyfriend because I cook for him. I book his travel. He's just like, I have a whole second boyfriend. And I love when he comes into the bar because if I see a girl that I think is attractive, I'll say, oh, you know that guy right there? He actually built all these tables, put those sconces up. He's one of my good friends. And um, he helped get this place together. And I'm like, oh, it's a good like talking point to like... <laughs> Really? And it's true. It's like it's not like some line. It's community building. So, yeah, it was again to see it all happen is sometimes surreal, but I'm grounded in the fact that I'm reminded that it happened because of my community. The surrealness disappears when I recognize the group and community effort that made it happen. Yeah. I'm I feel so much gratitude really that, you know, WO3 is this platform that is doing the very thing that you and I are, are having this moment right now to be able to have community, to connect and find that, that sense of collaboration and inspiration and motivation for women. Um, and especially, you know, the two of us being minorities that are in our own spaces trying to to trailblaze and and inspire people i mean that's the power of of all of this yeah. you know of, of wo3 and um women-owned businesses uplifting each other and so you know for for those listening i think that if there's one thing that you took away you know hopefully there's many things because gosh we were taking notes when, when when tara was talking about starting her business but it's really the power in numbers yeah. and the power that that happens when you bring great minds together because it's so exponential what can happen you know when you, when you have those right people that can uplift and so if you know if you're if you're in a position to be able to inspire and uplift other people do that you know you. do that it's it's really um, life has so much more meaning and purpose when it's bigger than you. Amen. Mm. Thank you so much for being here today. This is amazing. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Episode 152 with Tara Sanders. What a phenomenal woman. I am so excited that we decided to do this gifting of the podcast interview for 
those women that par participated in our giveaway for WO3. Such a magnificent way to connect and for women to be able to share their stories of how they began their women-owned business. And gosh, I'm just blown away by her, by her courage. And there's so many takeaways that I have from our conversation, but I will leave you with uh, the point about research. I think that's such a critical point. You know, as many entrepreneurs that I've had on this show, you know, as you know, being 152 episodes in, uh, one of the, the great points that made Tara successful was the research that she did. That does not go unnoticed. She looked at the market, identified a need, got the right expertise to position herself for success. So she combined getting the right people around her and her passion and her vision together to create and manifest the business that she has today. So that's what I would invite you to do. If you're, if you're in a place and you're questioning right now the pursuit of anything, whether it's a business or something in your career, something relationship oriented or something related to your health, go to the data. What is that data telling you about where you are and where you want to be? See, I think sometimes we shy away from the numbers and the honest truth, whether it's getting on the scale and accepting that this is the weight that you're at, whether it's you want to lose or you want to gain, what's it going to take for you to get there to that goal? Whether it's your business and you're looking at your profits or your losses and, and recognizing how far you are from, from the goalpost, you know, or whether it's relationships and you getting real with the choices, <coughs> excuse me, that you've made and the, and the choice of where you want to go, it's data that helps us to understand where we are, right? So I would encourage you to start there. Start with the data, understand your circumstances, your situation and that true reality so you can really determine what that next first step is for you in your journey, wherever, wherever it is that you may be at this very moment. Remember that you are your only limit, so take action today. And one of those actions is absolutely to follow Tara on her journey, dollyvino.com. So D-A-L-E-V-I-N-O. You can find her on social media. As mentioned, check out the show notes. Thanks again for being here and tune in for more.